Well, welcome to church. So good to see you. My name is Shane, Shane Cox, and with my lovely wife, we lead the youth ministry here, which keeps us on our toes, let's just say. Um, It's an absolute privilege to be here speaking. Um, I have been in this church as long as this church has been around. So that's what, like 20 years, I think? 20. (laughs) Wow. I was thinking I was 22 for a second there. I was woo, no, no, I'm not 22. I'm 29. I actually just had my birthday on Friday. So it's the last of the 20s. Can you believe it? No, I've been in this church for what, 27 years. Is that right? I'm looking at you, mum. You should know. Yeah, let's go with that. Um, I think I was about two years old when this church started, back in Nairn, in the, in the um, school, and it's come a long way, and we've um, grown as a family and as a community and had different seasons, and can I encourage you that we're in the best season yet. The best is yet to come, and it's not finished, it's not over, it's just beginning, and I'm so excited to share this morning about resilience. Mm. I know some of you who probably have grown up with me are like, wow, this guy definitely has a revelation of resilience. Because <laughs> I haven't always been resilient, you know? There's been some times where I have not been resilient, let's just say. <laughs> but as a recent father, I have a whole new understanding, I think, of what that means. And I'm going to go on that journey of teaching my child what resilience is and to be emotionally stable, as we like to joke about. Well, we joke about it, but we always say it and impart emotional resilience for our young little man and whoever else comes along. We don't know yet. So, resilience, God-given resilience. The title of this message, well, the theme that was in the message plan for the year in the Bible reading was when you feel powerless. So... I can preach on that because I have felt powerless in my times. Who is going along swimmingly with the Bible plan, the Bible reading plan? Yeah, getting better. That's what I'm going with. That's the motto I've chosen. I'm getting better at it. We're catching up. I did skip a few. Don't worry, I will catch up. But I skipped to Samuel because that's what we're up to now. So I spent a bit of time in First Samuel. And um, I've loved it. I've Obviously, because... I've come from Deuteronomy, so going to Samuel was a bit of a nice change. (laughs) But I will go back and catch up. There's a lot of reading to do. Um, But Samuel, I love the story of Samuel. I love the the whole book and the journey that continues on from the Israelites. And um, I mentioned last week when I service-led that it's actually a story I know quite well because my middle name is Samuel. And mum used to read me Samuel all the time. We had this short story, and so we'd always read it. I just remember sitting in bed and reading over it. And, of course, I just looked at the pictures because that's what you do when you're a young boy. But I got to know that book, and it's probably one of the well-known books in that I, from the Bible that I know, and I probably haven't even read that much of, of the Bible, just from knowing the story and, you know, finding, I guess, a bit of identity with just the name and just wanting and clutching onto that. As I read it I, this, this week, I was blown away that, to me, this first 20 chapters isn't actually, in my eyes, a story so much about Samuel. But it's actually about his mother, 
Hannah, who I always knew about, and I knew the story about how she was longing for a child, and she prayed and she got Samuel. Of course, me being me, a young boy, I always focus on Samuel and, and his story. And as I read it, and I think even Mother's Day coming up, it's just all kind of aligned quite nicely. And I'm just blown away by Hannah. And she is, in my eyes now, a hero of the Bible. And I hope that after this message, you, you believe so too. Because what Hannah teaches us is resilience. What she teaches us is what to do when we feel powerless. Now, I want to ask you a few questions this morning. Sometimes I like to ask to close your eyes just to, um, not because we're going to, well, we will pray in a second, but just to reflect. And as I ask these questions, I want you to think what, where you're at with, this, with these questions. So what do you think about yourself? How do you talk to yourself? I know already... Two questions in, I'm probably catching myself up a bit. Maybe I could talk about myself a bit better. Do you feel qualified? Do you feel powerless? Is there something in your life right now that you feel powerless in? It could be. It could be something big. It could be something small. But God, as we move on in this message, I just pray that your presence would fill this room even more. God, we're so grateful that you're here. Lord, I just pray that your word would move hearts this morning. God, that you would be a sharp sword. God, and you would pierce our hearts with this story of Hannah. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. So, Hannah, I'm just going to roughly go, uh, like, start the story, not reading it, and then to verse 9, just so that we can don't read the whole thing because it goes for a while. So if I don't know if you guys have been listening to the podcasts that have been attached to the Bible reading plan. I try to, but it's already lengthy enough to read the Bible plan, so sometimes I don't get to watching or listening to the podcast. But in the podcast, Tim Lackey describes the book of First and Second Samuel as a major crossroad moment in the larger biblical narrative that began all the way back in Genesis. And when I heard that, it stuck out because it was only last week, I think, that Pastor Bruce was talking about crossroads. Does everyone remember him mentioning crossroads? And so you'll, you'll see that theme go along in this message because, well, what Hannah did, she got to a crossroad, a powerless one, when she felt that she was powerless in, and, and she, teaches, she can teach us what to do in that moment. So... God chose the people of Israel to be his representatives before all the nations, to be his partners in restoring the blessings of Eden to the world. But the Israelites mostly fail at this calling. And me being in Deuteronomy still, I'm still in that uh, zone, <laughs> that moment of just seeing the Israelites trip up again and again and again, and how encouraging is that to know that the Israelites did it and we're still doing it? Like, we still have the same problems. A lot of the problems that they have are what we still face with today. And I think it's real dangerous for us to think that it's the worst it's ever been or that we're in this spot of bother now that it's, it's never been this bad and it will, it's only getting worse. It's not true. 
It's the same issues humanity have been dealing with since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden. And it, you, we can learn a lot from that, but I find it encouraging to know that people tripped up in the Bible, and so it makes me feel better. Um, but we go along to Hannah's story, which begins in a place of deep personal pain, is when we're introduced to her. Her, us, her husband, Elkanah, which I always pronounced Elkanah, when I was a kid, because it looks like Elk Hannah, and Hannah was the wife, so in my head made sense. But I think it's more Elkanah, which is what I found when I was doing some research. So she was married to Elkanah, and he was married not only to Hannah, but he had another wife called Penina. I think that's right, because when I was listening to it, I'm like, that sounds like Belina. So that's how I'd remember it on Sunday morning. <laughs> when I read it, I'm like, I don't want to stumble on the names. So I put a lot of effort into the names. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> he had another wife, Penina, or so, however you say it. And she had lots of children. And in, the, in that time, that was how to be a successful woman, was to have lots of children. And if you didn't, that was, you, well, you were frowned on, you know, you were almost shunned. And Penina loved her status. And you read in the text, she belittles Hannah so much and just tears her apart with her words and just constantly puts her down and makes fun of the fact that she doesn't have kids. Like, how horrible is that? Um, to, to be, and to, I mean, I don't know what it's like, I only have one wife, but... <laughs> Just, just wait. Just wait. Because I can't imagine being Hannah. I'm Hannah in this story. I can't imagine being Hannah and being married to a man and then the other wife who's married to your husband puts you down all the time for not having kids is more where I was going with that, with that analogy there. Whew, did I get myself out of hot water there? So almost, almost. But put yourself in Hannah's shoes. She's got another person that she shares her husband with who has it all in her eyes. She's got the deal. She's got the gold. She's got that little crystal special thing that you are. What's it called? Orakai. I just thought of Urakai from Lord of the Rings. That's what, that's what I thought of when you said that. But she's got the prize. She's got what Hannah wants and constantly rubs that in Hannah's face. That to me, suffering. <laughs> that to me sounds like suffering. That to me sounds like a place where I would feel totally powerless. Can anyone agree with that, that you might feel a little powerless in that situation? And so this is where we meet Hannah. This is where we get to in the story. And Hannah pleads with God and requests that God give her a child. Obviously, as it would ease the pain that she suffers at the hands of those around her and obviously the bully that she has to do life with. But I would argue also that she, also, she would also have just this desire to have a kid. You know, it might not, or it might not just be because of the comparison. She also, regardless of that, still just wants to have a child. And so we catch up here in verse 9 in 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, Once after a sacrificial meal at Silo, Hannah got up and went to pray. 
Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, as we can understand, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Just like Tobekat noted that long hair is a bit of a holy deal, I think. So for everyone telling me to get a haircut, it's not happening. It's biblical. (laughs) So verse 12, as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your requests or the requests you have asked him for. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. So in this story, what I want to pull out is how Hannah dealt with her suffering, how she dealt in that moment of feeling powerless. How are you today? Some more questions for you. Are you feeling sad right now? Maybe you could relate to Hannah and she was feeling sad. She was pretty sad. Are you feeling powerless? What do we do when we feel powerless? Well, when we are suffering and we hit that crossroad, there it is. One thing that we can do after reading this story is follow Hannah's example. Hannah had been struggling for years with her suffering in a moment where the suffering seemed to increase. They were actually at a banquet and she was sitting next to her and just like doing the old routine, being a big old bully, tearing her down with her words, basically said, why are you so sad? Grow up, get over yourself. You don't have kids, you don't have problems, you'll be right, is effectively what she said. And so it was a little heightened, you know, she was really torn down. And in a moment where it seemed to increase that suffering that she was feeling, she was presented with, let's call it a suffering crossroad, where Hannah had no power to give herself a baby, right? She was in that moment facing suffering head on, and she had a decision to make. And that's what I believe we have when it comes to a moment where we feel powerless, in our suffering, powerless in maybe our choices, powerless in our decisions of maybe where, even, where we live, what, where we work, maybe we just feel stuck. And I believe that you will always have two options, big or small. You will have an option that leads down the path of victimhood, powerlessness, more powerlessness, pain, and death, ultimately. Or we have another option that leads to resilience, strength, fulfillment, and life. 
These can be a chain of small decisions that lead to an end result, or it could just be one really big moment where we have to make a decision at that time. The first thing that we noticed from this story, that I noticed from this story, was that Hannah took a moment. She actually removed herself from that situation. And where did she go? She didn't go home. She didn't go to the pub. She didn't go to a mate's house. She went to God. And that's my first point, is that we, when we hit these crossroads, when we are feeling powerless, powerless, we need to take a moment, take a step back, and we need to find God. And for me, that is um, in my own prayer time. So that's, I usually, I have, we have a, a shed that's been converted into a studio, which is where I work. And I usually will just go spend a bit of time in there, which is hard because it's the work zone, so it's very easy to get distracted. But I quite often will just sit there and play piano and sing that song and, and then just wait and maybe open the Bible, which I want to do more of because, yeah, I want to be molded. I want to be sharpened. And so asking God to sharpen me through his word is, is how I would do that in that moment. But removing myself from a situation and not going into isolation, that's pretty relevant for us at the moment because... If we get the, the Rona, we have to go into isolation. And I think it's real dangerous to get used to that mentality that when I'm suffering or when, something, when I get sick, ooh, I must isolate. Now, that's all well and good for the COVID. I'm not saying anything political. I'm not saying anything about that. Let's do it. I did it. It was, it was interesting. But when we suffer in life or when we, maybe we have a mental sickness, Literally, the worst thing that I can do is isolate myself. I don't know what you guys do when you're in a moment where you find yourself on your own and you're miserable. Does it get better for you? doesn't for me. I get worse. I recycle things in my head. I make up things that people say. I, I make up predictions that people have over my life that they've never put on me. And I play this soundtrack that's miserable, I guess we could say. That's suffering. And so that's where it's like we could go on our own and into isolation or we can take a step back like Hannah did and go seek God straight away. When, those, when that soundtrack happens, say, no, turn it off. I always use music to change my tone because I'm a musician mostly, but... <laughs> I connect with that, obviously, but as soon as I put on, as soon as I play those chords and sing holy, my, my perspective shifts, my attitude shifts, my focus shifts, and I'm not thinking about the problem, I'm not thinking about the suffering, and nothing's changed. The situation is exactly the same, but what I'm doing is I'm preparing myself, I'm setting myself, I'm putting myself in a position where I'm saying, all right, God, Yep, I'm suffering. Yeah, I feel powerless. I have no idea what to do here. But I'm open to you. And I want to hear from you. I want to meet with you. And that sets the tone, which is exactly what Hannah did. The second thing that Hannah did, once she got there, she not only went to meet with God, she then, as it says in the scripture, she poured her heart out to the Lord. 
And this is a key that I think could change your life if you clutch onto it. And if you, if you do it and continue to do it, it will continue to mold your life is to pour your heart out to God. Pour your heart out to the Lord. Don't just get caught into the routine of ticking off the Bible plan and maybe even Googling an inspiring message from an American church and you sit there and holler and then you leave unchanged. All these things that we can do and go to absolutely are good for us. But if we don't actually meet God there, if we don't actually pour ourselves out to Him, how can we get filled up with Him when we're still so full of ourselves? And caught in the moment and caught in the thing and just going, I just need that one thing or I'm going to watch that message and I'll feel better. I'll, I'll feel better. And then I'll walk away. And we haven't even said, dear God. We haven't even looked for him. But we do these things and they're almost like a quick fix option. Because that's kind of what we get told all the time that our society is. We now live in a society where everyone wants the thing straight away and quick fix. Well, shake that off. We don't have to do that. We don't have to be like that. We don't have to want the microwave dinner. Who wants a microwave dinner when you can have a banquet cooked by Abigail Beatty? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> you want that banquet. You want something that has been made with that's flavorsome, that is poured out into that meal, and when you eat it, you know that there is layer upon layer upon layer of sacrifice and succulence. That's what I want. <laughs> or you can have a microwave dinner. <laughs> but I want that. It t sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it hurts to pour your heart out to God. Sometimes it's like, you know what? You're here, man. <laughs> You've seen this. Why do I have to tell you? Why can't you just fix it? Just better. Well, that's a microwave thing, isn't it? There we go. Caught up on that old microwave loop. I, um, as I was preparing this line of thinking and uh, into pouring my heart out, there's a few moments where in my life I, that I can really, really acknowledge that I poured my heart out. You know, sometimes we can have a quick moment with God. Sometimes we can have a long, nice moment. There's only been a few in my life where I felt like I have really poured my heart out. And it was, there was one time in 2015 where I was just in a moment and, well, I'll go there. Fatherhood for me has always been a bit of a painful subject in my life. My experience of fatherhood, especially up until that moment, had been a complex one, an upsetting one, a bit of a disappointing one, a bit of a painful one. And you could say that I was suffering and that I felt powerless. And in that moment, I, I can't remember, something happened. And I felt alone. I was alone. I isolated myself. And I just got miserable. And I even tried doing, I, I watched a Stephen Furtick message and I wrote out down all these things. And I wrote down a, probably two pages, which is a miracle. And I wrote them with my pen, like who does that anymore? And I was, I was trying to do the right things. I felt bad. I felt angry. I felt annoyed. And I was just probably going down the, the line of bitterness. And I was like, well, I'm going to do the right things. So I watched the sermon. I wrote the notes. I played worship music, whatever. And it didn't work. And I just, because I couldn't, I wasn't, 
pouring myself out. I, I was doing all the right things. And I remember I, I, there was just this explosive moment where I stood up and probably kicked something and threw something. And <laughs> it wasn't the cat. I don't think it was the cat. He was around. He was probably sleeping because cat's life, right? Um, no, and so I had this explosive moment, and I remember, like, yelling. And I know I'm, I seem like an extra person. I seem like I'm a sanguine. I'm not. I'm insular. I like the safety of my home. And when I'm in the safety of my home, I don't usually scream. So this was a bit odd. But I, I just remember being, like, so angry. I'm like, oh, and I just yelled. And next thing I knew, I was on the floor. And I was on my knees. Not intentionally, obviously, because I didn't know I was on the floor. And I just weeped. Like, <laughs> weeped. Like, it was, you would not want to be there watching that. No one wants to see that mess. It was the full, like, you had the stringy coming from the nose, kind of, you know, you see that in the movies, and you're like, surely just wipe it, man. Like, <laughs> that's where I was at. And I was just, and I just poured my heart out. I don't, even, I don't really know what I said, but I poured my heart out. And that's when I felt God move. I felt him come and surround me. The way I describe it is like it was, I felt love enter the room. I felt, I felt a hug, not a physical one. I don't want to be a weird. But I felt like, I felt love surround me. And I felt just, I felt my father there. And I felt whole, I felt Nothing had changed in my situation. Probably even got worse after that. My suffering didn't change. My feeling of powerlessness definitely didn't change. But I was hit with this crossroad, and I had that decision to make where I could have just probably stormed out the room. I mean, I was already on my, on my ground. So. <laughs> and I poured my heart out, and I had that moment with God. And I had this just assurance in my head. It was almost like, he was like, I, I see you. I know you're there. And I'm going to make you a great father. And you're going to have what it takes. You're going to be a good dad. You're going to be a great dad. And I'm going to make sure of it. It's like he was just saying, don't worry about it. I've got you. You're covered. And now when I look at that little boy, there's not a, like a, a centimeter of doubt. Nothing creeps into my mind about me not doing my best for that kid. Now, that didn't happen straight away. I wasn't on my knees like, <laughs> and then Spence was like, Boop! hey, there he is. If that happened, whew, let's just say I definitely was not ready. I needed seven years of molding from the Lord. <laughs> Especially who would be ready for that? <laughs> here he is. But I can stand now with him here in this room and say God is faithful. Nothing changed straight away. Nothing changed in that scenario. I still suffered even after that. But my answer to suffering did change. I still went to the Word. Of course I went to the Word. Of course I poured my heart out in worship. But that is where I started to have an intimate relationship with God as a father, as him as my father and, and me as his son. And so that's... In this, in this story, back to Hannah, that is what she did. She poured her heart out. And Eli, as God's man, the man of God right there in that moment, saw that. 
you know, he thought she was drunk. He thought she was just rambling. Have you ever talked to someone that's drunk and they just ramble? Like, can you imagine? This is what she looked like. She was that desperate and on her knees. I guess. I don't know. It doesn't say. But pouring her heart out. And God saw that. And in a moment, I don't, well, nothing changed, right? She didn't, it wasn't like me. It wasn't, well, I didn't do that either. Like, baby didn't pop out. And we know how long it takes to make babies. So she continued, she went back and she went back to the banquet. Can you believe it? Who knows if she went to Penina or whatever her name is? Peninina. I can't, I can't remember. Penina. See, it helps. It helps. She probably went back and she was probably still running her mouth. And, but it says in the scripture that she went back and she ate food and she wasn't sad anymore. So that tells me that in a moment like that, when you pour your heart out and you give God your all and nothing changes in your circumstance because we're not magicians, we're faith-filled Christians. In that moment, God changed her. God had a meeting with her and whatever it was inside of her that she needed, something shifted. It, to me, it looks like the promise is what got her, is that she was promised a child. It's, God has seen your prayer. You're good. And she, oh, well, that's good enough for me. And, and she went in faith and she wasn't sad anymore. Now, sometimes we suffer. And I think, especially in this day and age, we can suffer with our mental health. That gets talked about a lot. But I don't want to give it too much airtime. Because I feel like I have in my life. I've probably given it more credit than it's due. Is that this mental health thing, mental health thing. If our answer is, well, I've got something here but I'm going to go to God. Or I've been labeled this. All right, what's God say about that? What has God labeled me as? And we can turn a crossroad moment of suffering where we really don't have the power to decide right there and there that will make an action that we want. And all we have is this decision, this crossroad moment where we go, okay, I'm suffering. I feel powerless i got two options. Am I going to isolate or run away or go somewhere else? Or am I going to pour my heart out to God? And the more you do that, the more you pour out. How, how much, when you talk to a friend and you have a DNM, how much closer do you feel to them? How much better do you feel? Even though you've just talked to them, they've not given you, maybe they have given you money, maybe they've given you the answer that you're looking for. But quite often or not, in my experience, when I talk to a mate, they just listen. They're like, all right. <laughs> like nothing happens, but I feel better. How much more, how much more does that happen when we pour our heart out to our Father, our God, our Creator? So in 2 Corinthians 12, chapter 9, it says, My grace is all you need. Say, my grace. My grace is all you need. My power, say my power. My power works best in weakness. How amazing is that? Best. That's never stuck out to me more than it has right now. My power works best in weakness. Is that what it says up there? Made perfect. Okay, there we go. That's probably why I've never seen it, because I think I'm reading from the NLT. 
So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Can I ask the band to just come up and as, we, as we finish up here? My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. I just want to invite you to close your eyes. I asked some questions before. What do you think about yourself? How do you talk to yourself? Do you feel qualified? Do you feel powerless? Good. If you feel powerless, good. Because my Bible says that His power works best in weakness. God, for those of us who feel weak, those of us who feel powerless, Lord, I pray that this message does not fall. God, that it does not just sit and not be taken. Lord, that it's your word. And Father, when you speak, things happen. When you speak, things change. When you move, situations are transformed. Maybe not straight away. But God, I pray right now that in all of us, that we are transformed. God, that in this moment, Father, as we respond to this message, Lord, that we would pour our hearts out to you. God, in this next moment of worship, as we sing holy, Lord, I just declare that mountains move. God, that hearts are changed. Relationships are restored. But God, on the inside of ourselves right now, that our hearts would be moved. God, that we would have transformation, power inside of us, a seed of hope. God, that we would believe that we are the seed of hope. God, that we are the seed of hope you've placed on this earth for this time, at such a time like this. God, that you would raise us up to see outside of ourselves. Lord, in this story, Samuel was an answer to a mother, but he was also the answer to a nation. God, that he restored the Israelites. And Father, we pray right now that as you transform our hearts, God, that as you move inside of us, that Lord, we would see the bigger picture. God, that we would see that it's not just for us that you move. It's not just for us that you heal. It's not just for us that you speak. But God, that in us, through change, Lord, that we would be the seed of hope to our nation. God, that we would be the seed of hope to our community. Lord, that when we gather, it's a light on a hill. God, we pray for a new day in this church. God, a confidence, a godly confidence that we are your sons and daughters and you love us. God, that we are your hands and feet. And Lord, that we can love our community. 
God, that we don't see people as an inconvenience. We see them as an opportunity to love every time. God, that we would not pass people by. Lord, that we would not pass lost people by. God, who just need your love. So God, move in us right now in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Why don't you stand? We are going to sing together to finish off this service. Thank you.